Hi, welcome to this Action Easter podcast. I'm your host, Tony Barber, and today I'm going to be talking to Steve Sims. Now, Steve is the founder of Bluefish, which describes itself as a personal concierge service, but actually say that they create unique once-in-a-lifetime memories that are beyond imagination. That's the Bluefish trademark. In addition to that, entrepreneur Steve is a speaker who regularly speaks worldwide and is a consultant who is sharing his experience with others. So without further delay, let's meet Steve Sims. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for giving up your time and joining us today. Um, what we want to start off with is knowing a little about a bit about you and your rather interesting personal journey. So we'd like to know where you came from and how did you get where you are today, please, Steve? Wow, and I suppose you want me to keep that brief. Um, <laughs> no, not particularly. We're really interested in your story. All right. Well, so um, it's funny. I'm actually obviously speaking with uh, you know with the crew from my my homeland, um, but I'm living here in Los Angeles now. So whenever I speak to anyone, I go, "Oh, London." I was actually born in Reading, um, but you tell anyone in Los Angeles Reading, they don't know where it is. So you no. everywhere in England becomes London. Um, sure. But uh, Raised up into a bricklaying family, left school at 15, usual kind of thing. Didn't go to college. Um, had had a very, um, and I stutter here, had a very poor upbringing uh, financially. Um, in fact, in my early 20s, I actually resented my upbringing about how poor we were. Um, it wasn't until my later 20s, I realized how affluent I was within work ethic understanding how to keep your word. So I was very heavily educated from my family, not from school. Um, but like all entrepreneurs, I didn't fit. Um, my family were owned a little construction thing, doing like, you know, little walls and porches and home improvements. Um, and I just felt that, was this really my life? And as I say, like all entrepreneurs, we get very aggravated if we're not engaged and challenged. So typical lad, I was bouncing off the walls, getting in all kind of trouble. I ended up talking my way into a job in Hong Kong. Um, and this was ridiculous. To say that I was underqualified was a, uh, was a, a stretch to the least. I think in my resume, I, I made um, a statement in there that I was related to the Queen or something. It was so ridiculous, this resume. Mm. I never thought it'd get accepted. Obviously, no one read it. Um, and I got the job, got transferred over to Hong Kong as a trainee stockbroker, lasted one day and was fired. Um, and now I'm in Hong Kong, started working on the door of nightclubs. And before you knew it, started uh, just looking at people from this pedestal of the club door as to people I wanted to be. You know, he's, look, he's looking good. He's treating his friends good. He's got money. He's got a good car. That's the guy I want to be. So I started playing this little game of if only I could be you and trying to pick out who I wanted to be. I started promoting clubs parties to get to talk to these people the parties went from clubs mansions yachts i ended up working for major organizations and partnering with everything from uh F formula one uh the grammys uh the new york fashion week um international polo just some of the most amazing events in the planet so elton john's oscar party and now through making wishes come true like um closing down museums in florence for a dinner party of six and having Andrea Bocelli come in, sending people down to the Titanic, getting them a drum lesson by Guns N' Roses, a guitar lesson by ZZ Top. 
I basically became the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people with really big checkbooks. And that brings me to where I am today. Quite an amazing life, um, Steve, I, I have to say. Um, <laughs> and I, I love the fact that you sort of spent that time kind of being able to almost like people watch, but at a, <laughs> at a real degree to kind of like filter out who you wanted to be. And I think there's an amazing lesson for us all there. I think as on, entrepreneurs, um, it's very easy to kind of get lumped into something and stay there. And I love the fact that I feel that even if you'd have been put in the wrong place, you'd have found your way to the top and to the right place eventually. Would you agree with that? Uh, I, I, I hope so. Um, again, mm. as I mentioned, you know, you, the, the story, you can name drop big names, you can name drop countries and cities and what you got up to, but the journey of an entrepreneur is pretty much the same all the way around. We're aggravated until challenged. And when we're challenged, we dominate. So I was lucky to find something that I was able to dominate and be challenged and engaged with. But you're right. If I had not been in Hong Kong, maybe I would have found it in, in England. Maybe I'd have found it somewhere else. Who knows? But I like to hope I wouldn't have been a lost cause. I, I say I, I just love that journey, um, Steve. Um, one thing our audience are really interested in is a typical day in the life of a successful entrepreneur like yourself. Um, you know, are, are you a planner, for example? Do you, do you have a routine in the morning, um, or do you like to freewheel with just some major goals in the background? Would you mind just telling us about that, please, Steve? Sure. I found that most of the time you do. It's, it's a funny question that's got two answers. My mm. mentality and the mentality of every entrepreneur is if we're too structured, we break and crack. So I can't have too much structure in my life. I need to be freewheel. I need to be creative. I need to just go, this ain't working. I'm jumping on a motorbike and I'm going for a ride through the hills just to clear my head. I need to have that freedom. But as you become more successful, you kind of need to plan that freedom. You need to plan that creativity. So I suppose the biggest um, and the toughest thing that happened to me was probably about 10 years ago when I really started installing structure into my creativity and getting rid of the stuff I didn't need to do, that someone else was competent to do. Because all entrepreneurs, we think we can do everything. And, yeah. and we can. But just because you can do it, doesn't mean you should. So if I'm over here doing something and I'm making 10 grand, why should I be over here, you know, licking stamps for free? Um, mm. So you end up starting to value your life, value your hours and building up a structure to be able to have that creativity. In the morning, my structure of my day consists of get up, have coffee, you know, put the dogs out in the yard and just, you know, thank the Lord where I am. Um, and then I pick up my phone, I go, right. What am I going to be challenged with today? Um, and so I like that, being able to do that. But if I didn't have the infrastructure underneath me, that someone else mm. was looking after chasing payments, checking up on book sales, checking up on the course interaction, seeing if there's anything I need to answer on any of my social feeds. If someone else wasn't doing that for me, I would lose a lot of the creativity and the ability to be like that. 
Mm, that's that's interesting, Steve. Thank you. Can I just take you back to that point sort of 10 years ago? I know a lot of entrepreneurs who are, are at that your 10 year point, if I can put it that way, who mm -hmm. kind of realize that they need to get some structure. And it, it, they very often say that they're worried about losing control. And for a brief period, they are quite frightened and worried about that loss of control. Would you mind me asking you whether you felt any loss of control or was it sort of a much easier transition for you? It's horrible. Um, and, and you've just hit it on the head. As entrepreneurs, we need to control everything. We yeah. micromanage, <laughs> we, we helicopter, we give someone a project and then we bloody stand over them and stare at them and go, oh, hang on, maybe you want to do, oh, do that. We're awful. Um, the first thing we've got to realize is we're, we're bloody horrible at it. Um, most entrepreneurs, and this is going to rub people up the wrong way, are crap managers. And we're mm -hmm. even worse at managing ourselves. The first thing you've got to do is get really strong intrapreneurs. Those are people that work for entrepreneurs, have the entrepreneurial spirit, but prefer to work within that kind of magic and get them involved to be able to delegate, focus, orchestrate, Getting that is the tough person, and then that creates freedom. It's really like driving a car with flat tires. If we think we're going to control everything, then we're not focusing on what makes us so magical. That's what I, I like to talk to my consultant clients as our unicorn. You know, we need to find out what we're exceptional at, and everything that we just do, delegate to someone else. And it's very, very hard. And I'll tell you what's going to happen, and it's going to scare people. When you get it right, and you won't at first, but when it starts going right, you'll find out you're bored because all of the stupid shit that you used to do during the day, you don't do anymore. Someone else does. And you're like, oh, maybe I should just go and quickly do that. Maybe I should just pick up that project and just get it out of the way because I've got 10 minutes. No. The hardest thing is to resist getting back in the bath, okay? And you just yeah. then go, okay, I can't do that. What can I do? Oh, I'll do 10 more phone calls. I'll do another posting. I'll answer some of my social feeds. I'll reach out to people that have expressed an interest in consulting. You know, you end up kind of stretching out and very quickly your day gets filled up with all the stuff that you can do that only you can do. Yeah, that that's that is really such a good pointer, um, Steve. And thank you for that refreshing honesty. Because as I say, I, I know that a lot of an entrepreneurs, it's that control. We we know it's there, but sometimes we don't like to admit it, do we? Um, <laughs> well, that's the that's the worst thing. You you said you said about these people that are at the ten year point and they know they need this. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, they're at that point and they don't realise they need it. They mm. they're, they're trying to do everything and they're wor they're whirling around and they're spinning around, mm. um, not not knowing what to do and they're missing out on what makes them magical. You know what made you magic got you to where you were, and then you dilute it by by looking after everybody else or micromanaging or not hiring a, appropriately. So the mm. fact of the matter is, you don't really know you need it or you don't acknowledge you need it until nine times out of ten it's too late. For me. My business started going down, and it was a it was a funny enough, a a good friend of mine, his associate, who I didn't really have a relationship with, said to me, Why aren't you doing this? And I was like, Well, 
who are you and why are you talking to me? He was like, well, seems seems obvious to me that you need this, this and this, or you're going to keep doing it and you can't do that, that and that. And I was like, mm. crap, he's right. And it took someone from the outside that had nothing to do with my life or my head to actually come out and point what was blatantly obvious to everybody. And here's the dumb thing. When you start changing it, the people around you feel feel encouraged and empowered because they're now taking on bigger parts of the projects. So they end up becoming more spontaneous and creative and energized, which in turn energizes you. And it's weird because then they come back to us and they go, oh, why didn't we do this earlier? And you go, oh, Christ. You know, no one ever tells you. And as the big, powerful entrepreneur that usually people look up to, when you do stupid things, they don't want to point it out. You know, mm -hmm. so usually what happens is when you make these big changes, then they turn around and go, that's really great. Why didn't we do that 10 years ago, Steve? And so it's a, mm -hmm. it's a very funny one. So it, as they say, experience comes two seconds after you needed it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it very often does. Steve, you, you talk a, a lot about sort of, you say effectively that money isn't important, that it's all about triggers. Um, and I know that a lot of our audience will be listening today thinking, no, no, I'm at the point where I need more money. I haven't quite got to where I am. So can you just sort of give us some examples of, of what you mean and some examples of what a trigger might be, please? Absolutely. And I just want to rephrase your word in there. Um, Please do. It's not that money's not important, but it's not the priority. Okay. Right. If you focus on the triggers, the emotion, the experience for your your client slash customer, um, the money will come. Okay. Mm. And I chase I chase the client. I never chase the checkbook. And right. So money's very very important to me. Let, let's not get stupid here. But it should never be the priority, should never be the focus. Quite honestly, money is the fifth thing in the scaling. So a trigger, and it's very simple. You're driving down the road in the car, and all of a sudden, a tune comes on the radio, and you remember, it makes you remember your first kiss. It, remember, it reminds you of your holiday with your mates. It triggers mm. an emotion. It takes you back. You're in the car, but all of a sudden, you can hear and smell the waves. So those are triggers. You have to create triggers in your business. So here's the scoop. You're dealing with a client and the client says, hey, I need ABC. If you give them ABC, you've just done a transaction. That's what Amazon does. So I've always said within my company, I have never given a client what they asked for. I gave them what they wanted. So let me give you an example. A client phones up and says, hey, I need to do this. My first response every single time is, that's fantastic. Why is that important? And I have, a, I have a podcast show as well called The Art of Making Things Happen. And I had an FBI negotiator on there. And he said, the best way to get impact is become your morning, uh, your morning DJ voice. And so he says, you're talking <laughs> to someone like this. And then you go, so why do you want to do that? And you get into that deep early morning DJ voice. But when you ask someone, oh, that sounds great, but why is that important? They have to think about the answer that they gave you. And they go, well, and I'll give you the example. So this year, two examples. This year, I had a client contact me. I was working with Elton John. He, sorry, it wasn't a client, but he was a, a guy contacted me. He said, hey, I want to meet Elton John. 
I said, okay, that sounds fantastic. Why is that important? And he said, oh, because he's the latest, uh, latest icon. You know, he's one of the only left, and he's Sir Elton, and one day he'll be dying, and uh, I want a selfie with the last great icon of the music industry. Okay? There was mm. no depth behind it. So then uh, I said, oh, sure, we'll get back to you, and obviously we never did. That same week, and it very rarely happens like this, so it was a good example, we had another guy mm. contact me. And he said, hey, I want to meet Elton John. I said, oh, great, that's fantastic. He's got brilliant music. Everyone loves him. Yeah, he's great. But why is that important to you? And so he says, oh, uh, well, you know, he's brilliant, a musician. He's great, and he's an icon, and so Elton John. He's one of the great Brits, and, you know, uh, that's why. And it was that last hesitation that realized that it was, I was like, okay, I agree with you, but there's got to be something more to it. And he went quiet and then he turned around and he said, in a different voice, he said, every day when I was a kid, my dad used to take me to school and pick me up. It was our thing. And we had a cassette player in the car and the only cassette we had was Elton John. And we used to sing Elton John on the way to school and sing Elton John on the way home from school. He said, now my dad's gone many, many years ago. But every time Elton John comes on the radio, my dad's next to me singing. Mm. And that was the trigger. That was the core. So we went, okay. And we actually introduced him to Sir Elton John and told that story and they hugged it out. There's the emotional content behind it. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I can't get emotional content if I'm selling toilet roll. No, you can't. Okay. But every now and then, you may want to just turn out and go, hey, I noticed you've been buying a lot of toilet roll. Is there anything else I can help you with? You know, I just wanted to ask a question. We have a no call Tuesday. Sorry, a no email Tuesday. What we do is we load up all our emails up until about 9.30 in the morning, turn off the Wi-Fi, and no matter who's emailed us that morning, we phone them. And it's funny because quite often we'll be in the office and we'll pick up the phone and we'll go, Hey, Barbara, how are you? I'm just about to jump in the car. I saw you emailed, and I just thought I'd jump on the phone just to get a bit of an understanding of what it was you were actually asking for. And quite often, they'd be sitting on the desk. They weren't even getting in the car, but they'd be making this phone call to connect with a person. Now, here's the daft thing. When someone emails you with what they want, when you talk to them, quite often it's not what they need. And if you can get to what they need, you start building up content, communication connection, loyalty, and you're actually getting in. And when someone pays attention to someone else and listens, that can't be replaced by a discount code. The person next door going, oh, I can do that and I'm 10% off. Doesn't matter. Steve gets me. He knows the answer before I've asked the question. You mm. can't get that on Amazon. You're building up triggers. When someone says, hey, I want this green, you go, great, great. So why is green so important? Well, you know, and you go, well, okay, well, let's do it with green, but let's do it with this little bit on there because you said that was important to you as well, or that's why the green was important to you. And you start building those things in so that whenever anyone does anything, they remember that it came from you. That's a connection back to you. That's a trigger. I've had clients, this is a, a daft one, but Venice, have you ever been to Venice? No, I haven't been to Venice, actually. All no. right, so this will help you. When you go to Venice, you can go from the airport into Venice by train, okay? Hmm. Or you can go by water taxi. Now, water taxi is a little bit more expensive, not much, okay? 
But as you're going across the ocean on the way to Venice, you can't see Venice. You really can't. It's, it's a weird optic. As you start getting closer and closer, Venice literally blooms out of the water. It's the most dramatic, exceptional way to see Venice for the first time. And we had a client saying, oh, yeah, I've got me trying to. And I said, cancel. He said, oh, I've lost the money. I said, I can't have you afford to lose the experience. Screw the money. Get a water taxi. I said, you will thank me later. If you don't, sort it. I'll buy you a bloody train tickets. And he did that. Now, funny enough, and the reason I'm bringing this up was because that was about five or six years ago that I did that. We did that whole trip for him, but it was that one thing about focusing on what was important for them. I didn't make any money on organizing a, a, a taxi. I don't get any commission on taxis, but it was important for the entry of his experience of Venice to get in the right way. It's like going into a party and climbing through the toilet window. You know, it kills the emotion mm -hmm. of getting into the party. So we gave him the best route for him. And he phoned me the other day and he said, I woke up the other morning. He said, I was thinking about Venice and I thought about the taxi and I thought about you. Now I hadn't spoken to the guy for absolutely ages, but these triggers were still there. Mm. That that is amazing, and I, I I love the fact that I think this translates to just about everybody in our audience. You know, sort of asking why is that important. I think that's just so powerful, Steve. Thank you very much. You for can do that, that with anything. I I get people I get people email me. I'm just giving you guys a warning. If you go if you try and contact me via Facebook or anything like this, this is probably what you're going to get. People contact me and they go, oh, we need to get together for a bill or we need to get together and, and talk or you should phone me this week or when can we schedule a time to chat? And I literally respond, why? And I find that I'll get some people come to contact me and they go, oh, you know, I thought you were cool. That's arrogant. Screw you. And they can get quite vicious about it. And then I get other people right. going, fair question. I've got this product, this procedure, this consultant, and I would like to see how we can plant. And they will explain. I go, okay, yes, that makes sense to me, or no, that doesn't make sense to me. So I think that one of the most powerful words in the world is not no or yes. I think it's why. Mm. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And as I said, it, it's something that I think all of our audience should should take away and, and start to put into practice straight away tomorrow, um, because it is, it's very powerful. Thank you, Steve. Um, Steve, another thing that you've spoken about is fear phobia when it comes to fees. And I know this really resonates with those in our audience who are selling professional services. I'm wondering whether you'd mind walking us through what you mean and how service businesses can effectively kind of put this into use to actually charge more fees. I say that because there's very often a panic with professional fees about, you know, oh, I couldn't possibly raise my fees and I've got to be the cheapest and you know, I've got to undercut, etc. Uh, I never have, and this sounds arrogant, but I've never had arguments about uh, the invoice. And that's mm. because if the argument of your service comes down to the price, then you mm. have failed to demonstrate the value. Okay, now I put a pause on there because that's one of the first things I teach my consulting clients. When you actually look at what you do, you didn't do it in five minutes. It took you 20 years to get the experience to do it in five years, in five minutes. People aren't paying for your time. They're paying for what you know and who you know. And you've got to value that. The first problem is most people that charge 
for a service, they focus on the price and not on the mm. product or service. And I said to you earlier, I focus on the client. I don't focus on the checkbook. You could, you need to focus first of all on your value, not on your charge. Now, here's the thing: Can the client get you cheaper somewhere else? Okay. If that's the case, then you're either not very good at what you're doing, or you haven't exposed what your magic at. Now, there's loads mm. of consultants out there, but no one's like Steve Sims because there's only one Steve Sims. There's, there's no you out there other than you. So give what you have, what you know, what you care about, your focus, and demonstrate the value. And if it does come back to, well, I thought it was going to be cheaper, say, hey, if we're worried about the price, I can make it cheaper. We will just stop having these weekly calls. I'll cut this course off, and we will take 10 years to do it rather than the five years that I forecast originally. Demonstrate the value of what you do. Value you first before you expose your value to your client or customer. Look at what the opposition is doing and identify what you're doing that's different, i.e. your unicorn, and charge accordingly. And if someone's charging uh, $10,000 and you've, you've been doing it longer or you've failed, see, this is a funny thing. A lot of people think that they failed. I know some great people. I know a, a, um, a business guy that uh, I started working with a couple of years ago. He went bankrupt twice on uh, um, on personal and failed on about four businesses. This probably doesn't sound like the best businessman in the world, but that guy's got so much education. He learned so many ways that it went wrong. He spent about five or seven years focusing on what did I do wrong and how can I make sure you avoid that? Now he's doing exceptionally well because he's got that experience and no one else has got. Everyone's stood there going, well, I don't want to tell people I went bust. I don't want to tell people that I fell over. Are you kidding? If you know where the where the little uh, trip up is in the path, you need to tell people to stop them falling over it. Your pain is there to save other people going through that pain. That's your experience. That's your unicorn. Focus on who you are, what you do, the results you bring, value you, expose the value, and then have the price tag quite simply as a, if you want it, there it is. And here's the thing. If they moan about it, realliterate the uh, value. If they still moan about it, that's not your client. That's a shopper. Move away from that and focus on someone else. Really good advice um, there, Steve. I think it's, you know, all of it, but particularly about moving away from your clients. Um, it's too easy to think that every client is a good client. And of course, they're patently not, are they? Um, no, Steve, people, and that's what I mean. People chase, people chase, they're not chasing the clients, they're chasing the checkbook. They're like, oh, I've got a mortgage yeah. to pay. You know, I've got this to pay. I've mm. got that. To, I've got to get some money in, you know? Mm. I've got to get a client in. You know, yeah. what client's going to be good today that's going to be good tomorrow? What can I get long-term out of it? A lot of people now today, especially with social, we need instant gratification. Um, doesn't always come that way. Credibility is not something you just add water to and pop, there you go, you're now credible. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes proof. So focus on the client. And as I said to you before, focus on the client, focus on the value, focus on what you give, focus on how you are so brilliant you can make them brilliant. You see, it's like when I do speaking gigs. 
you get these people go up on stage, they spend 40 minutes telling the, telling the audience why they are so brilliant. All of the big celebrity friends they've got. How powerful. Oh, the inside of that jet, how it took them a month to decide what fabric to use. How does that help anyone in the audience? They may get rah-rahed up about it. They may get, oh, one day I'll have a jet. But if there's no actionable advice there, it was nothing more than a good story around a fire pit, and that's it. So I'm a great believer that you need to take your brilliance and use it to make them brilliant. That's connection, that's connectivity, that's communication, and that's loyalty. That is amazing. Thank you, Steve. Uh, that That's su such absolutely valuable advice. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. And I, I know that sort of a lot of our audience are still at that kind of valuing themselves. Um, so I think that spending that time focusing on those steps that you've just taken us through to get to the value you and to, to find that unicorn, I think is is very, very powerful. Thank you. And finally, Steve, just b before I go, um, before I let you go, <laughs> there are <laughs> lots of um, entrepreneurs that we have who are at the stage now where they've, they've spent some time building a business and they've kind of got almost where they are and they're wanting to build up that business and increase the sales. If you could give them just two tips, what would they be, please? Mm, can you rephrase the question, please? Of course I can. Yes, we've got um, a lot of our audience have built up a business, but they're not as advanced as they want to be. They want more sales. They want to grow the business. If you could give those people just two tips to help them grow their business, what would they be, please? All right. OK, so for a start, your business will never be big enough. You'll never have enough clients. You'll never have enough of the right clients. Um, because again, that's the engagement of entrepreneurs. We always want to be better. You know, you start working with billionaires, all of a sudden you want to start with working only with billion, um, billionaires and more. So, but the bottom line of it is you always want the next carrot. Okay, so entrepreneurs are like that. We constantly go forward. The first tip I give whenever I deal with anyone is I ask them the question, do you have clients? Do you have people you're doing business with? Stop marketing externally for four months okay and focus on the clients you already have so for four months just focus on them you know go back to them is everything going well and this is a range of different services obviously that are out there but focus on your clients because there's nothing more credible than someone that spent money with you already so go back to them and go hey johnny are you enjoying your, I don't know, your, your lawn service? Are you enjoying your new house? Are you enjoying your new car? Great. Is there anything that I need to do? And this is a really good question. What did I do wrong in our relationship? And again, shut up at the end of that question. Now, if I say to you, hey, uh, how, did the, how did the interview go? And you're going to go, oh, Steve, it was great. You're energetic. Yeah, yeah. Your knee-jerk reaction is to say nice things. But if I said to you, hey, <coughs> Thanks for doing the uh, the podcast, but what did I do wrong? If I say that, it puts you on a different mindset, and you go, "Well, uh, you you didn't, um, you know, you answered this, you did that, you you confirm what was so good about the interview, the relationship, and then at the end, you turn around and go, "Great, do you know five people that should know that?" And you start getting your clients to do the marketing for you. OK, yeah, a lot of my yeah. consulting clients 
get me my new consulting clients. A lot of my concierge clients get me my new concierge clients because quite simply, I say to them, hey, how's everything going with you? Everything good? What did I do wrong? And they go, no, 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 I'm getting the, I'm getting the impact I needed. I'm building it up. You're supporting me. You're there when I need it. Great. Do you know people in your circle that should know that? Is there anyone else there that I can help that you would be doing a, an extreme favor to by telling them where I am? And you get your clients to do the marketing for you. Doesn't cost you any money. Doesn't cost you any Facebook ads. But there's nothing more credible than someone phoning up and going, hey, Jimmy, I just spent 10 grand with this guy. And he's the bomb. He gets it done. You know? And doing it that way. Again, mm -hmm. other people to recommend you. If you don't want to do it that way, get them to record testimonials. Hey, I want to be the best in my business. Did you like what I did for you? Great. Was there anything I did wrong? No, it wasn't. Would you mind if I just recorded this? And if I asked you to do a 10-second shout-out for my business, what would you say? And get them to record it, put it into a little sizzle reel, go on Fiverr, get a sizzle reel put together, go on Facebook and go, hey, I don't often know how to tell people what it is I do, so listen to these top testimonials. And boom, this little video goes. There's nothing proves better value than someone that's already spent money with you telling people. That is absolutely brilliant. And I think that um, I, I see a lot of our um, audience already rushing out, certainly to get those testimonials in. Um, Steve, thank you so much for that. Um, that that's, that's absolutely invaluable. And I know it's going to help a lot of our audience. Steve, Good. I'm really grateful for your time today. Um, and I, I just, I could say there's such a wealth of tips that we're all going to take away. Um, and, you know, why is that important, Steve? <laughs> it's as I say it's absolutely amazing and, and thank you again for spending the time with us oh it's good you know we've got if look if anyone wants to get any more stuff and it's always free they can go to stevedsims.com or they can even jump onto our Facebook group called an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims so you know there's, there's loads of other stuff out there or if you like reading books as we mentioned at the beginning blue fishing the art of making things happen I think is available in the UK it, it certainly is, Steve. Thank you. And I'll make sure that all of those links are available. And thank you for extending that out to us, Steve. I know the audience will appreciate and we'll be connecting with you. Brilliant. Thank you. Steve, thanks very much again for all the tips and the insight. I know that they're going to be very much appreciated. And thank you very much for joining me on this Action Easters podcast. And we look forward to welcoming you on the next one.